Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Hi, Stacey. How are you? Hi, John. I am doing well. I'm, I'm home in sunny North Carolina today and it's slightly above chilly, so I'll, I'll take that for a nice uh, uh, early, late February day here in the uh, Carolinas. How about you? Are you home this week? I, I'm home. We've had... You know, February is generally the rainiest month of the year, and instead, we have drought. And so it has been um, gorgeous and spring-like for most of February. Uh, uh, and and today's like another beautiful day in paradise. You know, Very good. And next week, I think we, we head out on the road, right? Well, so both of us will be gone next week. Next week, we'll be on the road. We'll, I'll be I'll be in. Well, let's let's see. God knows what's going to get canceled, uh, but but I'll be on the road in Philadelphia, and um, you're going to see the folks at Ultimate in Las Vegas. Um, Correct. We'll find out a little bit more about the Ultimate Chronos connection in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yay! So so we'll have lots of interesting stories from the road next week. Uh, what's yeah, in the mailbag? There's some big stuff this week. Let's let's cycle I, through the big stuff. I'll have to say on Monday, I will, I, you know, Monday afternoon, I, I got back to my office after after taking my pet to the vet, and I was like, oh, the day's ended, and we got four o'clock, a whopper of announcement. Um, so, so the the big deals and conversations keep falling. Um, so Cornerstone um, uh, sent out an announcement around four o'clock on um, uh, Monday afternoon that they are acquiring Saba, which is probably the next largest learning management system in the market space, right? Um, outside of like a, a skill soft or something, which is a content and LMS play, right? Um, so Cornerstone and uh, Saba are, are, are merging together. So there's definitely some interesting conversation we can have there. Um, a, a thing we didn't get to talk about last week because of the focus on what was going on with, with um, Kronos and Ultimate is that iSIMS named a new chief executive officer, Steve Lucas. And I, I know, you know, he's been someone who's been in the mix, so, you know, I think there's some conversation about, you know, we know some changes have been taking in place in ISIMS, but it's worth maybe having a, a conversation about. Um, there was some big funding outside of even the Cornerstone and Samba conversation. Um, Headspace, which is a, a global leader in mindfulness, meditation, and wellness programs, raised $93 million in Series C to focus on health and happiness in the workplace. Um, just that amount of money in that particular space, if we get a little time, probably worth a, a conversation. Um, there's also some, I think, some interesting stuff going on in the AI um, ethics space. The European Union introduced an AI strategy to build an ecosystem of trust. And at the same time, Google researchers released an audit framework to close the AI accountability gap. Um, so lots of stuff going on um, that, that's, I think, going to be worth conversations, if not this week, um, down the road. And then the last one was a group of ex-NSA and Amazon engineers are building a GitHub for data. So if you're in the data business, this one could look really interesting. So our, our own HR backyard is blowing up with information, stuff going on in the AI space, stuff going on in the wellness space. It's been a busy week, John. So uh, where do you well, want to start the conversation? Well, let's look at all the buzzwords. Ecosystem of trust. Don't you love that? <laughs> I <That's> like a, 
<laughs> you know, you know, you can imagine this team of um, sort of bearded um, and elderly people going, "What are we going to call this thing? Ah, uh, ecosystem <laughs> of trust, right? Just rolls right off the tongue. It has all of the characteristics of a buzzword that's liable to endure. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then and then and then GitHub for data. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know, so, so, oh, hold it, hold it. We had an agreement going into this, but this week you were going to be the grumpy one. Um, I'm the grumpy one. Yeah, you're you're flipping yeah. a little bit, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get through when we get talking the corners down. So, <laughs> I, I mean, these were definitely things that caught my eye. So they 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 did the job they were supposed to do, I suppose, right? But they also, I mean, um. I mean, the EU disclosed that plans to spend almost $21 billion on AI and data research programs, right, um, and platforms. And that's part of why they're feeling like they, not the EU in particular, but the economy and around it. But that's why they feel they need to develop an ecosystem of trust, which is basically just a framework of ethics is what it sounds like, right? Like, like here's the things you should do and shouldn't do. And that's the same thing I kind of got from the Google audit framework is, these are the things you should do and should do the things you should check to make sure before you release this monster into all of your databases. Right. Is that, is that what we've been sort of, you know, devolved to on the artificial intelligence front is, is here's some guidelines for how you should do this instead of you should not do this. Right. <laughs> well, well, but see, see, this is the thing. Um, uh, it's, it's particularly relevant in HR uh, ethics is not a set of rules, right? And, and uh, you know, HR loves to turn good ideas into policies um, and, and in the process, destroy them. Um, and uh, ethics is a frame of mind. And the frame of mind is, is sort of, what's the worst thing that could happen here? Are we doing the right stuff? What could go wrong? What do we need to do to make sure we understand what we're doing, what do we need to do to make sure that uh, uh, we aren't creating unintended consequences? And, and so, it's, so, so in order to have an ethical approach to something, it requires a deeper level of thinking. You can't just get ethical by following the rules, right? This is, this is something I've, I've been working hard on and following the rules, that's the law, right? The, the law says you can't do this, you must do that. Ethics is, and, and so it looks backwards. It looks at the disasters that we've had and it says we don't want to have those disasters anymore. Ethics is forward looking. Ethics is how do we become better? How do we do this in the best way possible? How do we spread the benefit of this as far as it can reach? And and, and a lot of the stuff that you see about ethics, including this stuff here, is, you know, sort of fixing the barn gate after the horse got out. So, um, they, the Google thing, the Google thing suggests that doing an audit before you release the product is a really good idea. And great, but you know, it's going to turn into mandatory audits, and mandatory audits uh, are going to have to look for mandatory things, and that, that increases the likelihood that you 
won't see the actual problem for my money. And so, so I think we're still early in the understanding of what this means. And, and you know, the people who are developing these, these ethics things currently are all trying to protect their existing game. And, you know, you know so it's, it's interesting that Google releases an audit framework. <laughs> because, because the, you, you know, they need. They, it's a stock price move, isn't it? Um, Probably, right? Yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a branding and marketing as well, right? Um, let's put some some guardrails around some of the things people are doing with our stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is this is Google saying, "Remember that do no evil thing." Well, we're still trying to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, 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 but you know, you know, they long ago became Facebook Junior. Um, um, yeah. Right, and so, so, so you think I, you think I'm taking ethics advice from Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> That's it, it, you know the, the world the world is getting weird in this way because because when you have the people who are the chief offenders claiming to be the noble leaders and providing uh, guidance for how to do it right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how you make sense out of that. It's 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 the same thing that appears to be happening in politics. Exactly. Yeah, it's you know, and I think that's a little bit of what the EU is trying to do. I mean, their exact you know comments here is that you know when you look at what's happening, you know, in the U.S., the 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 development work and the conversations that are being led by tech giants with deep pockets in China, which is probably the next biggest place where we're seeing AI grow. Um, it's being managed by a central government with very little transparency, right? So what I think the EU environment is trying to do is, is to create a, a space where people can trust the technology um, and trust that it's being backed by a more transparent conglomerate of sort of different government entities. So I, I don't know. We'll see if that, that works any better than sort of the tech giants owning it or, or single government owning it. But um, their hope is that that will make things people more comfortable with using it so that we could actually make some leaps forward. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, right? Yeah, I think, I think the idea that trust is central to moving forward is right on. But I don't think the people who talk yeah. about trust really understand what it means. I believe, I believe you get one or two shots before – an individual simply doesn't trust the technology. Um, And, and so, so that, that suggests that that what you need is a very, very distinct discipline covering the user's experience of of the tools. And um, they're not really talking about that when they say ecosystem of trust. They're not really talking about making making sure that the user can be trained, has some sense of control, and has a good feel for the risks of handling this stuff. Um, and and so so it's early. It's it's early. Um, um, uh, but I'm not hyper optimistic about these things because because of the net buzzword content. Yeah. So. Let's and, talk about. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say before we jump into um, 
the cornerstone, which I think is the bigger conversation today. Do we want to have any comments about ISIM's new CEO, um, Steve Lucas, Chief Executive Officer, um, the former um, CEO of Marketo, right? brings extensive global leadership experience and enterprise to ISIMs along with uh, track record in the marketing space. Um, and executive roles from SAP, Salesforce.com, Business Objects as well. So he's got a long list of data and data analytics type of companies, cloud companies, and a marketing company. What, what does this say to you? Anything at all, or is this just an expected? Oh, oh yeah, 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 thing? yeah. So, so Isom's is, is, Isom's is an incredible story. This is, this is the market leader uh, who never should have been the market leader, right? And and they have they have um, done everything their own way, in, in, so that I don't find another tech company like them in our world. And and they're yeah. they're awesome in this insistence on being true to their core principles. Um, and so they don't they don't take advice from anybody particularly. They they build technology that you shouldn't be able to build using tools that shouldn't work and have a pretty happy customer base. Um, yeah, 4,000 plus companies are using them, yeah. Yep, yep, no, this is the, this is the, the contemporary dominant African tracking system. Uh, yeah. Now, um, they sold to private equity a couple of years ago. And so private equity is always... Um, What's the formula? You invest in the company, you load it up with debt, and you sell it. That's that's how private equity works in, in sort of short order. And um, the key phrase in this press release is um, Lucas, Steve Lucas, who's the new CEO, tripled the value of Marketo. He became the CEO of Marketo in 2016, tripled the value of the company, and sold it to Adobe in 2018, right? So he's got a history of tripling the value of a company in two years while selling it. Um, so so what does that tell you? It tells you, that tells you that he's here to auction off ISIMs um, over the next couple of years. Uh, and that means that that means that you can expect that ISOMs will become a part of something larger. I think I saw. I, I don't remember. Maybe you saw this. I think I saw an announcement of a tighter alliance between Workday and ISOMs um, um, recently. Yeah, there was there was there was more of a uh, more I think integration going on. They had they created sort of the, the whatever level partnership they they needed for that. Um, but ISIMS has made similar announcements with SAP and Oracle and um, some of the others in the market. So I think at an enterprise level, they are, would say the go-to partner is probably a better way to put it, right? So then that, that's the starting point. And um, um, we're going to see, we're going to see some massive deal with ISIMS somewhere in the next two or three years. That's what this yeah, tells me. Right. And that's what I thought too. And I mean, and, and you know, one of the big conversations about what's happening with the Kronos Ultimate uh, Cornerstone Saba is so who's next? Like, generally, when you start seeing these big 
you know, things fall. When one makes a play, everyone else has got to make their play, right? Um, <clears throat> so, you know, there will be some consolidation in the market, not total consolidation. I don't think we're ever going to see the kind of um, consolidation that we saw, you know, in the early 2000s around some of this. But, you know, probably a lot more like what we saw in, you know, 2008, 2010, 2009, when, um, you know, sorry, 2010 um, and beyond is when we saw SAP and success factors sort of get acquired and Taleo and Oracle get acquired, right? Those kind of like the big guys and the big movers in the market are trying to figure out how do we fill the gaps we have. Um, and and I'm not sure if the Cornerstone and the Saba acquisition is exactly that. That I think a lot of people were like, well, um, you know, is this them trying to fill gaps? And, and my response is probably no. These are two companies that are very similar in their approach to technology, to their approach to sort of the market as a whole, a focused startup in the learning spaces where both of them got started. Um, so this was a buy that wasn't filling gaps or sort of creating the right type of partnership like the Ultimate and Kronos one was. What do you think about this, John? I mean, I mean, um, this one doesn't excite me as much as some of the other, you know, acquisitions have. Well, uh, you know, my initial take was um, that this is like uh, – <clears throat> I don't know if this, if this metaphor is um, – too old for some of the listeners, but this would be like Kodak buying Fujifilm um, in the face of the advent of digital photography. Right? That's 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 that was my first take. Is what? <laughs> um, and and the the earnings call or the 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 analyst call um, talked on and on about the. Um, importance of being an incumbent and the importance of having bigger scale and um, um, the value of the business moving forward. Um, and um, the announcement precipitated a massive drop in the stock price, massive drop in yeah. the stock price. And, and, and I, so I didn't understand these things and, and I had to sort of, go to my network and see what I could discover. And it turns out that, that when you make a move like this, you expect a stock price fall because, because by making this move, um, uh, Cornerstone went from being a growth company to a value company. So all of the people who had Cornerstone in their portfolios because of the growth dumped it. Yep. Um, and the stock price will will come back up as people who are looking for more stable performance buy in, and so that's that's the first layer is is that there was a there's a, an intentional move from growth to value in the in in the finances, but then then you know when you look at the landscape of there are a lot of learning technologies out there and none of them are really catching on, right? We, we, we can all agree that the, that the learning management system, which was such a bright, shiny object when it, when it emerged 20 years ago, um, isn't doing the job. It isn't solving the problem of getting people up to speed in the new world of work. 
but all of the things that have come along um, at, that claim to replace it aren't working. Or they are horribly expensive to implement. Um, and so what um, Cornerstone gets out of this, I think, is the ability to consolidate a huge R&D function and attempt to tackle that problem. Uh, and so, so I think I think the question might be: Is that a reasonable bet? What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get where you're going with that, and I understand that that's probably. I mean, there was a bit of a sense of that in the deck that they presented, which was showing sort of innovation and change and and growth opportunities from a from a you know development team perspective and all of that. Um, and I mean, and Cornerstone's definitely made this buy. It's a $1.4 billion buy um, right after it made two very interesting buys in the last two years. One of uh, the content provider Grovo for $24 million in 2018 and an AI-powered skills engine uh, company called Clustry uh, for $18.5 million last year. So it, that fits, I think, the dialogue, right? That, that definitely sounds like it makes sense. The only thing that I'll, I'll push back on a little bit is it's hard to be innovative when you're small. It's really hard to be innovative when you're big, right? Um, and I, you know, Cornerstone has been the, the leading LMS for at least the last five years. Um, the, one of the only LMS is still seeing sort of acquisition growth. Um, and partially because of the way they approach their new content work, partially because they've been able to, um, uh, increase their attach rates due to some of the investments they made in their recruiting products. Um, and, and in some cases, because they were sort of the, the last man standing as far as a learning-based talent tool for someone who maybe was planning to stay on an old on-premise application or someone who had a current existing um, HR environment that didn't have a learning or talent component to it, right? Um, there was no doubt that, that Saba had just as many customers at 3,000, um, but you just didn't see their name in the market as much. Um, they were definitely struggling. I think they had purchased Halogen not too long ago. They purchased Lumes not too long ago. Um, Halogen was probably one of the, the best sort of applications from a user experience vendor satisfaction perspective for mid-market team-based kind of organizations, and that acquisition um, I think was meant to bolster their sort of adoption numbers. I, we didn't see much of that having an impact on our research and and I and in the conversations I've had with people, they just couldn't sort of get out of the the challenge they were facing, which is a lot of technical debt and um, the turnaround they needed to make to to just be more profitable, which is what they were doing while they were at the private equity, right? And so their focus had been on being profitable. Adam mentioned that when they bought them, they were now much leaner. That they his comment was they only had 25 organizations left in an on-premise environment. That sounded a little low to me, but um, that also included the Department of Defense. So when you talk about an organization that big, right, um, still being in an on-premise environment. So I think there was some opportunity there to sort of to get into some of the stuff that, that Sabo was doing in that space. But I'll be honest, I, I've watched, you know, Cornerstone kind of grow as a really amazing talent management organization over the years with um, a lot of investment and a lot of good, you know, innovators in the organization who were focused on solving business problems. That was the one differentiator, I think, for, for Cornerstone in the early days is 
when they came out with solutions, a really good example is content bundling. In the early days when you bought an LMS, you didn't get content with it. You had to buy another separate contract, contract for content. And LMS was the first to the game to say, look, buy our LMS and we'll create the, 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 the license for you with the content providers and we'll allow you to split up things so you don't have to buy a big bundle of stuff you don't need. Sort of like the Netflix conversation we're having today versus cable, right? Do you want to buy cable with a bunch of TV shows you don't, you don't um, actually watch or do you just want to buy Netflix that has the things you know you're going to watch every day um, that you know, is really important to you? So Cornerstone was the first one to sort of do that kind of channel model for content because they were solving a problem that organizations had. They were in the first to the table with certification that focused on um, a skills need versus sort of certification focused on just a test passing need, right? Um, but in the last few years, they've, they've sort of followed the same formula that we've seen a lot of the other organizations follow, which is trying to reach parity with features and functionality. Um, and that I think has been their biggest downfall is, is, is trying to focus on acquisition through we have everything you need versus acquisition through we're solving a business problem, right? Um, I'm not sure that they're able to turn this corner because they would really need to rethink the idea of how they approach this. I mean, that's my two cents on it. It, it, it. I will be very happy to see Cornerstone make this work. Um, but I also know how hard these mergers and acquisitions are. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a very interesting question. The, the downside is that they become a cash cow um, and um, uh, just work the client base till it doesn't exist anymore, which is a, a long life. And the upside mm -hmm. is that they can consolidate resources and actually discover some path to to um, innovation. And um, I'll be anxious to see how it goes. I'll be very anxious to see how it goes. And it's nice. It's nice every once in a while for you to be the naysayer. <laughs> I, I mean, and it's hard, right? You know, because I, I, I just, I, you know, as we were talking about, I think I probably just sound awful grumpy about this, right? <laughs> but it is, it, you know, I, I'm, I don't think this is a bad move for Cornerstone. I, I do think, I think, you know, they need, there, there's, there's nowhere in the, in the world that you're going to get a 20% growth in learning right now on an LMS, right? Uh, uh, from a, just acquisition. There's just not enough companies out there acquiring these kind of LMSs or interested in this when there's other opportunities. Most people are actually dropping LMSs in our data sets. So from a growth perspective, they, they were almost buying a set of customers that they could cross-sell their products to. Um, so I understood why they were doing it. I just think that the idea that we're creating a better, bigger, more interesting talent management suite when talent management suites aren't really the thing that people are buying right now or the idea that we're going to put all of these resources that we're at Saba and uh, we're at Cornerstone into innovation, well, I'm not sure the most innovative people would have been drawn to either of those companies, right? Um, as much as I love both of them and I love the learning space, it's a long shot for me. I, I so, wish okay, them well. So, and, and I think they're their customers. They'll need to have a conversation about it, right? So let me ask you the million-dollar question then. Um, um, if the LMS isn't the answer, 
And you've looked at all of this junk that's out there that that uh, tries to insert uh, micro content into the middle of a work process and, and that sort of stuff. It, those things do not seem suited to the actual developmental transformation that the workforce needs to get from here to 10 years from now. Uh, what tools are going to make that work? Right? Because it has to, there has to be a technology that accelerates the transition in the workforce. Um, and if it isn't an LMS and it doesn't appear to be any of the we're not an LMS, we have a better idea, things that have come to market so far. What is it? Do you know? Oh, I, I, well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I wish I knew. I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be rich in another couple of years if I knew for sure, right? But, but I will say that I, that I think the idea of what learning has to be is changing, and so I think these tools have to really become something different. Um, you know, there was a, there's a list, and, and I think you and I disagree on maybe whether or not it's a great list, but that um, I will say that Gartner put out that identified the six trends for chief human resource officers that's going to impact how organizations experience the future of work. Interesting list. Um, some good stuff on here from Gartner. But the one thing that, that I thought was interesting is they put the elimination of on-the-job learning on this list. And they come to that decision that that's a big trend that the people should be paying attention to because we're going to automate most of the type of job that required that kind of on-the-job learning. Now, I'm not sure that all of that's going to go away, but I do agree that the automation of what I would consider the more sort of tactical work that goes on inside organizations is going to happen pretty rapidly as the technology starts to sort of speed up on what can be automated and can be sort of <coughs> programmed to work better. So the learning that's going to have to take place is going to be much more about how to think about things, how to make decisions, which is much harder than step one, step two, step three, right? Um, and that kind of learning requires constant feedback, conversation, evaluation, and testing. It's a much more complex approach to learning, right? Um, and I don't, I mean, one of the big things I know that I'm banking on is content. He's, he's thinking that he can provide the right content through a series of artificial intelligence that's going to figure out exactly what you need, when you need it, and that he's going to have a series of the right kind of content. Now, maybe that content in his mind includes all of this feedback, conversation, testing. I don't know. I haven't seen all the things that he's pulling together. I know that there are sort of series of stuff that he's sort of trying to, to put into his channel of content. But if you look at what, I mean, the media environment's a good example of this, what's happening in media. Um, people are like, oh, it's great to have another series that's kind of interesting, but I want to have a, a relationship with the actors. I want to have a, a social environment where I'm talking about it. I want to have a space where I can buy, you know, products that have their name. I mean, the idea of having a series that makes it just because it's a good series isn't as valuable as having a whole ecosystem that surrounds it, right, that's something that you can get into and get involved in. And I think learning is going to have to be the same way. What kind of tool can do that in a way that's feasible and um, doesn't require you to carry a, you know, you know, a, a headset around with you on a constant basis or a visualization tool on a constant basis? I don't know. Um, it probably has something to do with the nature of VR and, and something to do with the nature of um, the tools we will, will have available to us in the next five or six years on an Internet of Things and wearable level, right? Um, 
but it, it definitely requires more than just content. And I think that's, that's the most important conversation. Well, we should, we should really dig into this in the, in the next couple of shows. Cause, cause I, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time looking at and thinking about AI and what the current kinds of AI are really good at doing is repeating the past and the learning problem that, that, appears to me to be there is learning about things that we haven't done before and figuring yeah. out how to tr how to anticipate the need in the workforce and train people to be ready for the thing we haven't done before and that is super challenging and and it's beyond what an LMS can do because you can't you can't really develop a curriculum for something that hasn't happened before um, uh, but the the competitive advantage in learning caused by learning is going to go to companies that can identify the skill set that needs to be acquired in advance of everybody else and push that through the workforce somehow. And so yeah. you can imagine a a learning management system being a reasonable tool for doing that, but it's the front end. It's the it's the advanced taxonomy development that's really the question and uh, i don't hear anybody talking about that yeah yeah and that's that's the that's the conversation about sort of what feeds and drives this idea of teaching you prepare for what's happening so yeah i think i think we we definitely want to continue to have this conversation and if anybody has any thoughts or comments on it we'd love to hear it because this is a space that i think is gotten less you know, uh, we just we just have not had the kind of investments, both from an R and D perspective, but also I think from a uh, just a sheer, sheer thinking perspective, um, because it's one of the harder problems, right? It, it was, it's a place where I think it's not as easy to apply AI as it is in some other areas like recruiting and matching, right? Maybe, maybe. Well, let's let's bottle that up and we'll talk about it some more next week. This has been a yeah, great conversation, Stacey. Thanks so much for doing it. And thanks, every, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back here next week, same time, from somewhere out there on the road. Uh, you've been listening to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Thanks, everyone. Bye.